Well, good morning. One of the uh, things we do in college group often is uh, after we sing, I'll ask, now what did we just sing that you really don't live out in life? You know, what, what is it that we just proclaim together, but that maybe we don't believe is true all the time? And so what's what we just sang? Can we truly say that our soul is satisfied in Christ alone? Is that, is that where you came today, where you are satisfied in who Christ is? So I pray that as we look to his word, we'll be reminded of who, of who he is. Um, it's a great pleasure to be with you. I am not a trained preacher type. There's a lot of really good ones of those here at Palmetto, which I am always blessed to hear. So um, bear with me, but it is a great privilege to be here, and I thank Sam for the opportunity. We've really enjoyed working together on this series, so I'm excited to be a part of that. So if you look at page 11, that's where we're going to be in the little booklet. Um, Later, I hope some of you will take that. There's resources in the back that talk about possibly some books. If you're interested in reading some books on stewardship and life stewardship, those are listed in there. But if you're like me and people often tell you, read this book, it's a really good book, what I'll often tell them is, what's your favorite chapter in the book? And I'm going to read that chapter, and then I'll decide if that's a good book that I should read. Um, but if you're not going to read those books, there's also a bunch of quotes in the back from those authors that are kind of the, the idea of what some of those books are. So you can look to those a little bit later. And I just wanted to, again, if you did not get a book or you want a PDF copy, you can scan this real quick, and then we'll flip back to our slide presentation. Um, I know many, many of you, some of you I don't know, But when we get our slides up, if you guys could go to that one with the picture of our family to start with, um, we'll introduce them. And I'm very thankful for my wife and the ministry partnership we've had together for many, many years. And it is a joy to serve here. So as we start off, if you look on page 11, a few few questions that we have there. And are we? Yeah, I don't have the, uh, I don't have the, uh, picture in the back, so we'll work through it. But a few questions I have. I want to start off with this question. Is money good or bad? And I know some of you have trouble staying staying awake week to week at times, so I thought I'd put up there, um, if you need to doodle something in order to stay awake, you can doodle the little angel money or the little devil money. So let me ask you a question. Is money good or bad? And the answer is good, bad, a lot of you are saying it depends, right? It's, uh, college students are used to me asking these kinds of questions. Um, and the answer is it depends. And let me ask this question a little differently. Is a roaring fire in the middle of your living room good or bad? Well, if it's like this, it's bad, all right? And you know what? If money is ruling your heart, this is what your life will look like. There's a very wise theologian that said a wise man should have money in his head, but not in his heart. And the idea there is that we should be controlled with our funds. We should be purposeful with them. But if money is ruling your heart, this is what your heart is going to look like. But is a roaring fire in the middle of your living room always a bad thing? And the answer is if it's like this, it's a great thing. And if you're watching us online right now, I hope you have a roaring fire on a cold morning and you're enjoying that. But when money is controlled and purposeful, according to God's word, it can be a very, very good thing. Probably one of the verses that you guys thought of when I asked that question, is money good or bad? You thought of this. You thought of the idea, you know what? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Not being rich, that's not necessarily evil or bad. 
But this verse says, if you have a desire, so either the presence or absence of money in our lives can be a challenge. If you have the desire to be rich and to be able to spend money on anything you want, or maybe you're not a spender, maybe you're a saver, have the ability to be very secure with what I have. It makes me feel good to have money knowing that I'm very safe. That's the other side, the other challenge to this. So money's not necessarily good or bad, um, but how we view money is very important. And this is how, Sam mentioned this last week, this is how a lot of us view ourselves. This is the world. These are people in the world who are richer than me. These are people poorer than me, and this is me. But if you're sitting in this room right now, this is really the truth. The truth is this. This is really where we all are. And some of you are going to say, well, Bert, you don't know my financial situation. If you have more than one pair of shoes, you're probably on the right side over here. But let me just, some of you just want to be proven a point a little bit more. So let me, let me show you this. This is a Pew Research study. Again, Sam mentioned this last week, but if they looked at everybody in the world, the entire global population, and in, this, in the world, about 10% of the people are actually poor. And in just a minute, I'm going to show you the different income levels, because I know some of you want to know where you rank, all right? So just hold tight. It's coming. Um, and about 6.8% of the world is considered high income. So this Pew Research study said, if we look at all the households and we related it all back to the, a U.S. household in U.S. dollars, here are the dollar amounts. So if you make $3,000 or less, you're considered poor. And about 10% of the world's population, that's their income level. If you make between three dollars and $15,000, and that's 51% of the world's population, that's where they fall. By the way, about 40 years ago, 50% of the world's population was actually poor. So we're actually seeing the world get better in terms of money, but that's where about 50% of the world is. Middle income is considered fifteen to 30000 Upper middle income, which is about 14% of the world, is thirty to seventy-three. And if your household income is over $73,000, you're in the top 6.8% of the world's population in terms of wealth. So we should ask ourselves this question. If we're here today, we are called to be generous. You have an opportunity to be generous. We are called to be generous. And who are we to be generous to? We're to be generous to the poor. We're to be generous to the church and to kingdom work. We're to be generous to other Christians. But it's not just about money. And that's what this stewardship series is about. Um, not about money, it's about what life stewardship is. Because when you look at the classic answer of how we should be handling our time, talent, and our treasures, because that's what we all think of, right? The biblical term, time, talent, treasure. We should devote our time to God's uh, work. We should share the talents we have with others. We should give our treasures. But what we really want to focus on is stewardship as a way of life. So let me ask you this question before we go to our first passage this morning. What are we called to steward in our lives? Okay, the Bible answer, time, talent, and treasure, right? That's the one you all think of. And yes, we shouldn't waste our time on Instagram and Pinterest and Facebook and YouTube. And yes, we we should give money to the church and to other people. Um, And yes, we should use our talents really well. Um, One of our college students, Susie, who's over here, put together the booklets for us. And she's a graphic design major and she's using her talents really well. Those are all, all, of course, part of that. That's all part of stewardship. But let me ask you a few others. How do you steward other things in your life? Let me give you some examples. How do you steward um, the gospel? Big, big picture. You know, do you, do you steward the gospel well with how you live the gospel, share the gospel? What about spiritual gifts that God's given you to minister to other people? 
Do you steward those well? What about your words? What about what you say? Um, Do you steward the words that you speak really well? What about your family and your kids? How do you steward them? Let me ask about this. This applies to everybody in the room. How do you steward the upbringing you are given? You see, some of you were, were raised in a very strong Christian home. Some of you are in the process of being raised in a very strong Christian home. Maybe, maybe finances weren't really an issue. And, and maybe you've been given a lot of advantages in life. Are you stewarding those by getting ahead in your next, next part of life? Are you using those for your own comfort, for your own good feelings? Because if God's given you an incredible gift of an upbringing, you need to be stewarding that really well. That's for you college students, you young people. What about if you're an adult and your upbringing was not good? <laughs> what about if life was hard? What about if your family life was hard? Did you know you were called to steward even those things well? What about the hard things in life? How do you steward those? When, when the health crisis comes that you didn't want or expect, um, when that death comes that was unexpected, when you have negative emotions that go through your mind and anxiety and depression. You know what some of us do with those negative things in our life is we actually, we actually save them in this little bank in our, in our world. And then we come home from work and, and oh, I've, I've worked really hard today and I've had a really hard thing. So you know what? I'm gonna now spend this bank of negative emotions and negative circumstances and I'm gonna be rude to my family because I've worked really hard all day and I deserve to just go sit and watch TV and, and not really be a part of, of life at this point. Or, or maybe you're really tired and school's really overwhelming and you feel like that gives you the right to be mean to people or to not talk to people. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so even the negative circumstances in life, the Apostle Paul talked about this. He talked about the sufferings that I go through are actually leading to greater joy and greater life in your life. You know, the sufferings, the trials, the struggles, those things you're called to steward really well. Don't store them in a little bank and save them and then use them when you think you have the right um, to do so. We're called to steward even things like our sexuality. You know, in the world today, the world says these things are all yours. You figure out what you want to do with them. You can use your sexuality however you want to. You can be something different than what God's intended for you to be. Or you can abuse that really good gift by looking at pornography. And what God says is you're called to steward even those aspects of our life really well. We're called to steward our lives. So this morning as we look at these things, we're going to actually be looking at three philosophies of stewardship. So as we go through those, the three philosophies are this. Number one, a philosophy of being a spender. And Jesus talked about this um, when he talked about the leaven of Herod And he gave us an illustration in the prodigal son. The second one is we're going to be looking at a philosophy of a saver. The elder son shows us this, and Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 8 as 11 of the Pharisees. And then thirdly, we're going to be talking about what Sam mentioned, our father who is a radical giver in our lives. So if you would, everybody, turn to Luke chapter 15. So get your phone out or get your Bible out. I want everybody to do this because we're going to read through this passage a little bit, um, and we're going to stop along the way, and we're going to make comments, and we're going to make comments about the prodigal who's a spender, the elder son, the Pharisee, the self-righteous saver, 
and then who the Father is, the radical giver in our lives. Um, and guys, I have a favor in the back. Is there any way you guys could put the clock up back there for me? Is that possible? If not, okay. Um, Luke, will you bring me my phone? It's on the front row. I'm really sorry. I have to have a, I have to have a clock in front of me or else I'm going to go way, way long. Um, so as you look at Luke chapter 15, thank you, sir. And there's a spot in there for you to take notes and write down some of these. But why don't, before we read this, why don't you just say, God, expose in my life where I'm a spender to where I, I lean into that. God, expose in my life where I'm a saver. And then God, expose where I need to be a giver, where I need to see what my heavenly father has given to me. So Luke chapter 15, let's start with verse 11. And it says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. So let me stop right there. What is the name of this parable? The parable of, have you ever asked the question, why is it a parable of the prodigal son? Like, is that what Jesus called it? (laughs) Jesus says there was a man who had two sons. Why isn't it a parable about the two sons? You know, why do we pick on the prodigal? You know, because if you're a spender type, you're going to, you're going to feel picked on a little bit here initially. Um, But, but hold on. We're getting to the savers in just a minute. But it actually isn't a parable about the sons. Look again, what did Jesus call this? He says, and there was a certain man who had two sons. You know what this parable is really about? This parable is really about a father who's a radical giver. And he's responding to two sons that have very different philosophies of life. Okay? Um, So just so you'll know where we're going today, at the end of today, I want you guys to be able to go at lunchtime, and I want you to talk to your family about how are you a spender, how are you a saver, and how have you seen God be a giver in your life, and how you should respond to that. So, so that's where we're headed. I want you to be able to think through that, and I want you to think through where am I like these two sons, these two children of the Father. Um, and then when Jesus talks about the two leavens, the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees, remember that the leaven sneaks in, right? And so you want to start looking at where in my life do these things sneak in for me? So there's a certain man, he had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Let me talk first. Signs of a prodigal in our life, a self-indulgent spender. If you tend to struggle with being a self-indulgent spender, number one, you are willing to hurt relationships around you. You're willing to hurt relationships just like the son did here. Um, he went to his father and he basically says, I don't like you. I don't want to be with you. Give me what's mine so that I can leave you. Also, spenders tend to be, secondly, they have a disregard for the future. So if you're a spender, you're not really thinking about the future. You're thinking about the here and the now. And so then we see this, and, the father, and it says here, the father, he divided his property between them. That cannot, we cannot go past that phrase because that actually takes us um, on page 11 of the handout, point number three about the father being a radical giver. Verse 12, this is an incredible gift of sacrifice. This is a radical gift of sacrifice where the father said, I'm willing to divide my kingdom, destroy my kingdom, hurt my kingdom. I'm willing to do that for my son. Well, did you know that your heavenly father, he did the same thing. He, he offered an incredible gift of sacrifice where he said, I want my son to leave 
the kingdom for you. So we're seeing, we're seeing what our heavenly father um, is doing through this parable. And it says in verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and he took a journey into a far country and there he squandered his property and reckless living. So a few more points about a self-indulgent spender. They are irrationally spontaneous. Literally this entire state was divided up and in just a few days, he had somehow liquidated what was his and he left in search of a place to spend it. So a spender is irrationally spontaneous and they're always searching for the next high. By the way, I don't know about you, but I love this, this new um, screen. But part of this up here, it almost looks like one of those giant flannel graph boards, right? Um, and so to illustrate this story, I kind of put some cartoon flannel graph type characters. So, so we're going to leave this up here as we talk about the parable. Um, but what you have is the father in just a moment is going to be welcoming the son back. And you see the elder son, right, back in the corner there um, watching. So the elder son is coming in the story. But a prodigal or a spender is always looking for the next high. Maybe some of you this past Christmas, and, and I'm sure it's not adults. I'm sure this is only kids that this applies to. But some of you this last Christmas, did you get up on Christmas morning with lots of anticipation and you opened the presents and then maybe three or four hours later, well, everybody's cleaning up and you know, there's a football game on and you're getting ready for dinner and everybody's cleaned up all the wrapping paper and you start taking your gifts that you've been given and you put them in like a little, maybe some of you put them in a little basket and you take them to your room. Is there a little bit of a feeling of disappointment? Like maybe I didn't quite get everything I thought I would or, or maybe it's not making me feel the way I thought it was gonna make me feel, right? So this, this is what happens if you're a spender. Um, You're always searching for the next high. And so when that high isn't met, you've got to think about the next trip. You've got to think about the next thing you can buy. You've got to think about the next car. You've got to think about those next things to try to get that high again. And you're a reckless spender. And look at this next verse, verse 14. And when he had spent everything, when he had spent everything, he was not ready. He was not prepared for what happened next. The severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. Not only are they reckless spenders, but they're not prepared for the future. Also, if you're a spender, often in your life, you will encounter desperate financial needs. Desperate financial needs. So then this is what he did. He went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And look at this last phrase, and no one gave him anything. When you spend and spend and spend, you become very lonely. You become very, because you're thinking the next thing is gonna make me feel alive and I'm not alive. You become very, very lonely. And then there's a response. Okay, now we're going to start switching a little bit to the elder brothers here, all right? There's a response because if you tend to to be a little bit more of an elder brother or a saver, you kind of like this response, verse 17. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, and a lot of us are thinking, aha, it's about time. This guy's spent everything. He's at the end of his rope. He deserves to be. And sometimes people have to get to that point. 
And then he came to himself. And you want to know what he did? You know what his answer was? His answer was, I need to become an elder brother. He's still missing God. He says this, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and I will go to the father and I will say to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, these are all good responses. And then he says this, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He was still missing who his heavenly father was. He thought the way to his heavenly father was to do what his other other brother was doing, was to be a servant. So he was responding by going too far. And you know what? If you're a spender and you hit the bottom, or if you're a prodigal and you've hit the bottom, if your response to that bottoming out process is to go to the opposite extreme and to say, now I need to become religious, now I need to become a diligent saver, you're missing the point. You actually skipped over. And, And what I like to say is, both the prodigal son over here, the elder son over here, they're actually both, both of them are actually against God, the heavenly father. You know, we, they're, they're not on opposite sides and we need to find this perfect balance in the middle. So he actually responded by saying, I'm gonna become like my older brother. So then he went back to his father and it says, and he arose and he came to his father. And now we're gonna see um, the, the second part of the father's response, this gift of adoption. It says, when he arose and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. The father was longing for him. He was looking for him. He was loving him. He felt compassion. And he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And then the son, he started this prepared speech. You see that? And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father stops him right there. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father says, oh, no, 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 no. I'm about to exercise this incredible gift of adoption. And this is what our heavenly father does for us. If you are saved, if you're a believer, you've been given this incredible gift of adoption into his family. And look what he, there's four things that he gives him. Look what he says. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Do you know what the robe signifies? It signifies a grace covering, a covering for our sins. The the, the irony of Jesus Christ's death was that someone put a robe on him to mock him, and actually through that robe, we actually get his robe. It's this beautiful exchange that we've been given. And so the father says, put a robe on him. By the way, the son never had a chance to say, just make me one of your servants. Let me work for this. Let me work for this. No, he says, put a robe on him, covering for grace or forgiveness of sins. The second thing he says is put a ring on his hand. And you know what the ring represents is a restored identity and a feeling of belonging. You are now part of the family again, and you can actually conduct business on behalf of the family. That's what the ring represented. You know what happens often with money and finances? They become our identity. That we feel a security and a safety and a value from money. Or if you don't have money, the thought of having money makes you feel that way, right? Makes you feel warm. That's why when you go by at the store, and I know none of you probably play the lottery, right? But you go by and you see $1.5 billion, right? Does anybody else besides me start thinking about the lottery daydreams? You know, you start thinking about, that would just 
of course, I'd give a lot of it away. You know, we'd have this beautiful building at Palmetto all of a sudden. Um, but, but then, you know, and I'd give most of it away, you know. And then I don't mind paying taxes. But, you know, a few hundred million make me feel okay. Like, I can make it on that. You know, you start to feel that warmth that comes. It's an identity. But when the ring is placed on your finger from your heavenly father, your identity is about the father's business. Then the third thing he says is bring shoes or bring sandals and put those on his feet. And when your heavenly father gives you sandals, you have a renewed purpose, you have a renewed meaning in life, and you have a hope that is beyond just this world. College students, as you guys are here, as you're studying, preparing for what God has for you, he has a purpose. He has a purpose, and he will not abandon you. Some of you are seniors, and you're thinking about what's going to be in the next step. God's not going to abandon you in that next step, in that next process. He is preparing you. Um, and then I love the last one. He, sa- he says this, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. He was going to give a party. He was celebrating his incredible return of his son. And he says this, because the son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. And they began to celebrate. You know, when we joyfully respond in giving and we give our lives to God, there's a joyful celebration that the Bible talks about in in heaven. So it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And they began to celebrate because the son was alive. And now we look at the elder son. So, So the second one there, what are some evidences of elder son in our lives? First of all, now the older son was in the field. I love how it says he was in the field. It didn't say he was working in the field. He may have been working or he may have just been in the field, but he was doing diligent things <laughs> um, for his father. You'll see in a minute, there really wasn't for his father, but he was being very diligent. He was in the field. And then it says here that he heard, as he came near the house and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. If you're an elder son, you're very calculating, you're very careful with your planning, you're very plotting, (laughs) you want to know what's going on all the time, very careful. And he says, the servant said, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. Also, if you're an elder son, verse 29, he was angry and he refused to go in. He was angry and he was bitter. And so the father came out and treated him. But the elder son answered his father, look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, and you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. You know, if you're an elder son, you are an entitled saver. And what I mean is, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about an entitled saver says, God, if I serve you for a long time, and I obey all of your commands, then I deserve certain things. I deserve to be married. I deserve to be comfortable. I deserve to have the perfect job. I deserve to never be hurt. I deserve. See, that's what an elder son says. I've done all the right things. I deserve. And then the elder son is also an exclusive partier. He's a snob, (laughs) An elder son is a snob. He says, I want to have a little party with my friends. 
I don't want to celebrate what God's doing in the big picture kingdom. I just want to have a little party with my friends. He's very exclusive. And then look at this comparison. Says this, he said, I never disobeyed you. You never gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. You see, this comparison between his actions, older brother, I deserve to have a party. Younger brother, he devoured everything with prostitutes. That pride of comparison, the pride of comparing even how you use your finances, it's so dangerous. Well, I could afford, you know, this house or this car, but I don't do it, right? You know, I don't, I don't that, that pride of comparison versus others, or how can they go and enjoy that? I know they don't have the money for that. Those are all little signs of the leaven of the elder brother, that prideful comparison between spending. But then we see, lastly, this incredible gift from this father. And this is what he says. Verse 30, but when the son, he says, the older brother says, but when the son of yours came, he devoured his property with prostitutes. And his father said, he looked at his son in verse 31, he said, son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You know what the elder son was missing in all of his serving and all of his diligent I deserve? He was missing the fact the kingdom was already his. You know, sometimes we live thinking this kingdom is all there is here. And what God is saying is there is a kingdom that's much more important. Eternity matters more. Living for eternity is what we are called to do. But we struggle with that. So now, let me give, I'm going to give you guys a little quiz. So everybody, if you have your pen, everybody wake up for me a little bit here. We're going to go through, and I'm going to ask you eight questions. And let me tell you the answers ahead of time so that you're not worried about what the right answer is. The answers are, if you're a spender, it's going to be letter A. If you're a saver, it's letter B. And if you're a giver, it's letter C. So the goal is, if you just want to have like all the perfect right Christian answers, just circle letter C right now on all of them, and it's going to make you feel good. But try to answer these honestly as we go through it. So here's the quiz. I'm going to ask you eight questions, and then on your page, on page 12, you can circle um, the right ones. Number one, what excites you more? A five-star vacation across Europe, that's letter A. B, maxing out all of my retirement accounts for the year. Or C, dinner with your pastor who expresses a heartfelt thanks for your sacrificial support of a successfully launched key ministry. Number two, what was your tendency as a child with regard to new money you received? A, buy new toys and spend it on experiences as soon as you got it. B, save it in a piggy bank or a savings account. Or C, spend it to spend on or give to others, your church, or to charities. All right, number three, you hear about a man who at age 70 has managed his middle-class income through careful savings, and he has a current net worth of $8 million. Your first thought is, wow, this is letter A. Wow, what a waste. Spending it would have been a lot more fun. B, wow, he really did well. I hope I can do that too. Or C, he may have missed some really good opportunities to experience the joy of generosity. Number four, 
Success in your eyes looks like A, experiencing great food and travel, hosting friends, driving a luxury car, and posting it all on Instagram. B, retiring at 50. Or C, lengthening my home payoff and foregoing foregoing some luxuries in order to sponsor a missionary family. Number five, your annual bonus is twice as much as you thought it would be. What do you first think? A, I'm headed out shopping. B, I'm putting this down on the mortgage. Or C, thank you, God, for this provision. I can't wait to give a chunk of this away. Number six, the spending, by the way, again, we want you to talk about these later with your family a little bit, you know, to talk about. And some of you parents, you already know what your kids are, you know. Um, So, um, but number six, the spending in my life is effortless. I love it. B, as long as it's coffee, right? You can spend it on coffee, easy. B, it's bothersome. I wish I could spend less. Or C, it's controlled. I feel good about the way my spending is managed. Number seven, the saving in my life is a bothersome. It's an inconvenience that gets in the way of having fun. Or B, it's effortless. I love building wealth. Or C, it's purposeful. I have a healthy and reasonable goal towards which I'm carefully saving. And then number eight, the giving in my life is A, obligatory, B, formulaic, or C, joyfully overflowing. And Pastor Sam, he talked a little bit about um, the tithe. And I will tell you, the first number of years Lauren and I were were married, um, we gave exactly 10%, like exact to the penny, you know, of gross, not net, gross income, 10% to the penny. And you know what that in my mind allowed me to do? The other 90% is mine. I get to spend it the way I want. I get to save it the way I want. But that 90%, I'm buying God off with this 10%. So uh, giving that 10, and I never, we never prayed about, do we give more? We never prayed about what were those next steps? Um, and then God began to work in our life to kind of change how we view this idea of grace giving and this grace, idea of grace stewardship. And at the bottom of page 12, um, one of the realities is this, spending is something we have to do. You have to spend money. So steward your spending really well. Um, Secondly, you should save money if you have the opportunity. You should save because there are future needs. But really the question we should be asking is not how much we should be giving. Rather, it should be how much should we save? How much should we spend? We really need to change the way we think about giving. We need to be really purposeful and should we be spending that? Should we be saving that? So now, as we, as we continue to look through, if you guys can, turn to Mark chapter 8. This will be our last passage that we look at this morning. So turn to Mark chapter 8. And we're going to continue that idea of being a spender, saver, and giver. And as you're, as you're turning to Mark chapter 8, let me throw out a couple more tests of this. I want you to think about you're going into your favorite store, maybe it's Ulta, you know, if you're girls, or maybe it's, you know, the Bass Pro Shop, if you're guys. You're going into your favorite store, or maybe you're, go- you're really hungry, you're going to your favorite restaurant, Chipotle, Atlanta Bread, Panera Bread, whatever it is, and the homeless person comes up to you, right? The, the homeless person is there, clearly homeless, and they begin to ask for money. They begin to ask for money. What do you do? What do you do? Well, um, 
first of all, it takes wisdom. This moment, this moment in time, it takes wisdom. But if you're a spender and you're about to go have a really nice meal or you're about to spend $100 on beauty products or fishing poles, you might feel guilty enough to where you're like, oh, I've got to give them something. You know, if you're a spender, you're like, yeah, I'm going to give them something because that's going to make me feel a lot better about having to go and, and spend, you know, money on myself or on this meal. They're clearly hungry. So, yeah, let me, let me just give them some money, you know. So you do that to make kind of your conscience feel better. If you're a saver, if you're a little bit more of the leaven of Pharisees in you, somebody comes up and they're homeless, you're going to say, I'm not, I'm not giving them anything. You know, they're just going to take that gift I give them, and they're probably going to buy alcohol or cigarettes they're not going to really spend it on what they should spend it on, even if I tell them to. They're going to misuse the gift I give them. So I'm not going to give them anything. Um, of course, we never misuse the gifts that God gives us, right? You know, we, we never, ever abuse God's gifts in any way. We reuse everything exactly perfect all the time. Now, am I saying you should give money to them every single time? No, it takes wisdom. But what I'm saying is it may be a point in time where you, you do buy them a meal, or you do encourage them to get help. Um, in that moment, you have to trust the Holy Spirit to give you the right response. But what I'm more interested in is what is in your heart. What is res- how are you responding to them in that moment? Are you a little bit more like the Pharisee? They're just gonna mess this gift up. I can't give them anything. Or are you a little bit more like, hey, I wanna spend and feel good about it, so of course I'll give them a little bit as well. It's very dangerous, and this is what Jesus warned the Pharisees over, or his disciples over in verse 14 of Mark chapter 8. So let's look at that together. And Jesus starts off with a warning, a warning that we should be listening to. The disciples missed it. And I love these guys, because when I read this, I miss it too. I often miss what Jesus is saying. But he says in verse 14, and by the way, just to give you context, all of these miracles had just happened, including two times. Jesus feeding thousands of people from using very little, right? You know, a few loaves, a few fishes. They saw all of this. And look what's happening. It says, now, they forgot to bring bread, and they only have one loaf with them in the boat. <laughs> now, now, wouldn't you think that they would remember what they just saw Jesus do? Jesus is with them in the boat. Um, and it says, and Jesus cautioned them, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So he gave them this warning about these two leavens that come into their lives. These leavens are in our lives, by the way, and they're, they're both against God. The leaven of Herod, the leaven of the Pharisees, they are both over here. And what these look like is the leaven of Pharisees looks like a self-righteous person. They're focused on their duties and their discipline. They're focused on saving and the security that brings. And then over here, the leaven of Herod are unrighteous people that care about their desires and their dreams. Two chapters before this, we learn about um, John the Baptist. Do you remember when he was beheaded by Herod? And it was because, um, it was because the, the daughter of his wife wanted John the Baptist's head on a platter. That was her desire. And Herod said, okay, we're going to do this. So that leaven of desires and dreams and the fulfillment that comes in spending, these are against what Jesus is teaching. And it says in verse 18, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So Jesus had just warned them about this mindset. And Jesus, aware of this, he said to them, and he begins to ask these questions. These are very, very important. 
When Jesus asks questions, we should listen because there's a process that he's going to take them through. We're on verse 14 in your booklets. And as he takes them through this process, he begins to ask questions. In verse 17, and aware of this, he said to them, are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? See, Jesus knew the disciples wanted results. You know what you want in your life when it comes to your money? You want results. <laughs> you want to get a good return on your investments, right? Um, you want to buy the right things and enjoy them and not, not be upset about the purchases. Um, you want to save for the future, which is very important. We're not discounting that at all. But we want results. And what Jesus wants is growth. He wants you to work through a process. So we ask these questions. Do you not yet perceive or understand? And the first thing he says is, are your hearts hardened? Are your hearts hardened? See, being a radical giver, realize you realize my heart has been changed because of the radical gift I've been given from my father. Your heart has to be changed. It starts in your heart. It doesn't start with careful planning or the right apps. And and next week, we're going to talk about some of those more tangible things that are related to financial management and and a few hints here or there that might be helpful for you. But that's not really what stewardship is about. And, and, And I appreciate Sam's heart so much in this series because he's made it very clear that's not what our church, for our church, that's not what stewardship's about. It's not about... Um, we've got to figure out how to manipulate you all to give more money to the church. That is not what this is about. This is about your heart being changed. But their heart was hardened. He says, are your hearts hardened? And having eyes, do you not see? So the question is, have you seen God work in your life? That's part of the softening of our hearts as we are seeing God work. We're seeing God work through our finances. We're seeing God work through how we steward hard things, and negative emotions. We're seeing God work. And then he says this, and having ears, do you not hear? You know, one of the wonderful things about being in in a community of grace in a church is an opportunity to hear from others about how God is working. Isn't that an encouragement in your life when you hear from others about how God's changing them and growing them and God's seeing, they're seeing God work in their lives and they share that with you? And then he says, and do you not remember? And he's about to remind them, and he's about to show them that they remember. And I love, this is what I love about these guys. Um, He says, and do you not remember? He says this, when I broke the five loaves and the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they all said to him, 12. (laughs) They loved results. Um, You know what we like in our lives when it comes to our, we love results. We love results. But see, those come at the end of the process. If if you bypass this process that God wants to take you through to focus only on the results all the time, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss what God's wanting to do. So then he asked him again, and the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And Jesus said to them, do you not understand? And I think if I, if I look at what Jesus is saying here, I think what he is saying is, don't you understand I'm the bread of life? Like, like, I'm literally in this boat with you. I'm the bread of life. 
I did all of these things. You saw me do all of these things. I supplied for all of these needs, these physical needs of my people. And you're wondering if I can't do that with this little small handful of people with one loaf. I am the bread of life. So if you're going through life right now worried about the next step, you're worried about the finances, you're worried about your circumstances, Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I am with you in this. Don't focus only on the results. Focus on what God is wanting to do through this process. If money is ruling your heart, it's like that living room that's on fire. <laughs> it's destructive. It's, it's concerning. If money is controlled, if money is, is in your mind, meaning we do, this is an absolute part of life. You know, some of you hate it and you're money avoiders and you don't want to think about it, talk about it. And some of you just love it. You know, you love creating wealth and you love creating great business deals and you, you love what money can do and you love giving. Those are, those are wonderful things. But if those are the ultimate things in your life, you're missing it. You're missing it. So as we, as we look at this, as you leave today, ask yourself, where is the leaven of Herod in my life creeping in? The spender, the prodigal son, that mindset. Where, also on this side, where is the leaven of the Pharisees? I'm the perfect saver. You know, I deserve these things, and I've got everything lined up exactly right, and it's all about my comfort. And what God is saying, see me as this radical giver. I'm this radical giver. I'm, I'm, I'm a father who will sacrifice, who has adopted you, and who has promised you the kingdom. And what that does is it leads us to a life of responsiveness. So I'm going to close uh, in just a minute with this. But it leads us to a life, this grace-enabled gospel stewardship, we should have a response. And the response is this. I'm going to live in a responsive posture before the Spirit with everything God has placed in our hands. Time, talent, treasure, in order to carry out his purpose in our lives and in the world. So as, as we close, this is what we're going to do. Um, and this is a little different for Palmetto. And since I'm not, you know, I can do this, right? You know, I'm not, I'm not a, an occupational paid pastor. We can do something a little different. Um, so in just a minute, I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And I'm going to close in prayer. And, and while I'm closing, if you're comfortable with this, I want you, as I'm praying, I want you to just hold your hands out in front of you like this. And as you hold those hands out in front of you, what I'm going to pray is that this is a visual representation of two things. The first one is this, I'm not going to hold on tightly to the things of this kingdom, to this world, my career, my money, my ministry, my talents, my negative emotions, my depression, my anxiety. God, I'm not going to hold on this. I'm going I'm to let go of those things, okay, the leaven that creeps into our lives. And then the second part of the prayer is going to be, God, place in my hands what you would have for me to do. Some of you, God is going to bless you financially in ways that are very powerful. You need to respond the right way with that. Some of you, God has gifted relationally. You need to respond to him with that. You need to steward the things well that God has given you because God is the provider of all of these things. You know, 
You may say, I work really hard for my wealth. Well, God gave you the ability to even do that. You all know that. So if you don't mind, will you just stand for me? Stand as we close in prayer. And after I pray, you're going to stay standing. Ben's going to close. But if you're comfortable, will you just hold your hands out before God as I pray? And let's go to the Lord. God, we want to come before you, and we want to recognize that you are a father who has sacrificed for us. You gave your son. You are a father who has adopted us. You gave us the robe of righteousness. God, you gave us the ring, which is a new identity. You gave us shoes, which are a purpose to go out and serve you. And there's a celebration because of that. So help us to be reminded that when we became your child, we were celebrated in heaven. So help us to remember that. Help us to see your hand at work. Help us to hear from others of how you're working. And, and God, I pray, as our hands are open before you, help us not to hold tightly to the things of this world. Help us to hold very loosely to those good gifts. God, help us not to pollute the gifts you give us. Help us to use those the right way. God, help us not to hold on to negative circumstances or difficulties of our, our background or being hurt by people that has caused us um, to not steward well this life. Um, help us to release those to you. And then God, put in our hands what you would call us and have us do. I pray for some in here, you would bless them financially so that they can be a blessing to the kingdom and to other Christians and to the poor. And God, others, um, bless them in their ministries as they have opportunity to impact um, the kingdom in many different ways. God, bless our jobs so that we don't just see them as a task um, to get what we want, but we see them as an opportunity to serve you no matter what it is. And God, place in our hands what you would have for us to build your kingdom. And God, lastly, I pray that we would be responsive. We Help us through the help of the Holy Spirit to let go when we need to let go and help us to be open to what you've added um, and yet you will add to our lives. Help us to recognize the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees and help us to see at times we are prodigals and at times we are elder sons. Um, And God, help us to be changed because of your radical gift through Christ that you've given us and the love of our Father. And it's in your name we pray, amen.